Geek companies have looser dress codes, better snacks, and more dogs and foosball tables in the office than their industrial-era counterparts. But these aren't the important differences. I hope no one believes that they'll be able to adopt the geek way by embracing hoodies and huskies in the workplace. So what are the key differences that separate geek from non-geek organizations? My answer is that there are four. Let me illustrate them with four short case studies about walking away from the established practices of the industrial era and embracing the geek way. Unusual activity in Area 51. Like a lot of people, Will Marshall wondered if a smartphone would work in outer space. Unlike most people, Marshall was in a position to find out, since he was an actual rocket scientist. From the time he started working at NASA in 2006, Marshall got invaluable training and experience in the discipline of systems engineering, which is concerned with creating not just a single product, but rather an interdependent set of components. Systems engineering is inherently complex, and it requires a lot of planning before components are built, integrated, and tested. As Marshall explained to me, NASA teaches you to undertake complicated systems-level challenges. In software, you can take an approach of, let's just put something out there and see if it works. But you can't put up a satellite and then go, oh shit, we haven't built the software yet. Or, actually that radio doesn't work with that solar panel. Let's take it down and fix it. Well, you can't because it's in space. Over time, though, Marshall grew frustrated at how long it took NASA to complete projects, especially lower-risk ones where there were no lives at stake. He also saw how much upfront planning took place before anything got tested or built. He came to believe that it would be possible to get better results by moving faster and learning by doing, even in the inherently complicated domains of systems engineering and space exploration. By taking a different approach, one centered around fast cycles of iteration and experimentation and a different risk model of redundancy and low cost rather than removing all failure modes, he thought that it would be possible to land a craft on the moon for less than $100 million. Few of his colleagues or superiors agreed. Marshall recalled, We were told in no uncertain terms that you cannot do it for under $1 billion, so go away. But he didn't. Instead, he and his colleagues got permission and protection from Director Pete Warden at the agency to try their approach. In a small building christened Area 51 at NASA's Ames Research Center in Northern California, they built and tested descent and landing systems for a lunar vehicle. They used off-the-shelf components instead of space-grade ones and got a prototype system working for about $300,000. As Marshall tells it, we brought the NASA brass round and they were like, oh shit, you've done the hardest bit. And they said, we still don't believe you, but here's $80 million, have a go. We sent it to the moon, and we succeeded in doing that mission for $79 million. And that was about an order of magnitude lower cost than the status quo, and the lowest cost lunar mission that NASA had ever sent. That mission, L-Cross, won a breakthrough award from Popular Mechanics, in part because its spacecraft was outfitted with commercial off-the-shelf instruments, saving the team time and the costly development of custom instruments. It also found water on the moon, a significant scientific discovery. Marshall and his colleagues then decided to launch some smartphones into space and see if the devices could send pictures back to Earth. After all, they reasoned, modern phones had everything they needed to take and transmit photos. Pete Klupar, 
a director at NASA Ames under Warden and a mentor of Marshall's, often held up a smartphone saying, Why are we making spacecraft so expensive? This has most of what we need. As Marshall put it, if you look at what a communications satellite has and what a smartphone has, it's 90% overlapping. So, after nearly being denied permission to do so, and nearly getting himself fired, Marshall and his team sent some phones into space and had them take some photos, which, as he told me, we got down with the help of amateur radio enthusiasts who got packets of the data from the phone's radio. They then emailed us those packets, and we stitched them into an image that was taken from space with a smartphone. And we were like, well, that phone cost $500. Most NASA spacecraft cost $500 million. What are those extra six zeros doing for us?